0: Uh, we're making our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been very much um, under the sun. You know the phrase that we've been talking about, Paul, probably more so than me, this phrase, under the sun, this idea that the, it's like the world without, without God in it, this sort of perspective that the, the writer gives us. And in this, in the last couple of chapters, there are glimpses all the way through, but particularly in the last couple of chapters, we're going to see what this world looks like with some, like, godly wisdom shone down on it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the passage again. So I'm going to ask the team if they can pop the passage back up on the screen, if that's all right, and we'll go through it again. And I want us to look, I used this expression last week, didn't plan to, but this, this idea of a screenshot, I want us to really just absorb some of, these, some of this wisdom. It is soaked, it is dripping wet with wisdom, is this text. And it is, given, given that we've been under the sun in Ecclesiastes for so long, this, this sort of pessimistic view. We really need this. We need this. We need this perspective in our lives. We need it today, right now. Okay, so we're going to read it out again. Take the screenshot in your minds and re- let's really soak up um, what the writer is saying to us. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you will receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster... May come upon the land. If clouds are full of water. They pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south. Or to the north. In the place where it falls. There it will lie. Whoever watches the wind. Will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds. Will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind. Or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know what will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. I want to tell you a bit of a tale, a bit of a yarn. I'm not going to, it's a bit of an indulgence on my part, but it's it's worth it when we get there in the end. It's the story of a road trip that I took on. I'm going on another road trip tomorrow, and I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm pretty excited about tomorrow's road trip up to Scotland with Barbara. That's going to be exciting. But I want to tell you about a road trip that happened a few years ago in my life. When I was up at, up at Bible College, um, I met this guy called Wach Chakeni Chikumbu, an African guy, okay? It's, it's a, we, had, we called him Wati because Wach Chakene Chikumbu is a, long, is a long name to remember. And this guy is just the nicest, most mild-mannered individual you could ever want to meet in your life. He had... And I don't say this about very many men. He had a lovely smile. He had excellent teeth. And he was just so jovial. And, and his story was amazing. He came to Bible college, you know, and I, and I had this fairly average story of a guy who was making his way through, through my life. And he said, oh, I'm coming to Bible college because I want to be trained up because I'm going back to reach the lost tribes of Africa. And my testimony followed his. And I thought, crikey, this is a poor do. Anyway, we had this road trip to Hereford, and what Watty had found out since he'd come back from, since he'd come from Africa to Glasgow was that he was diabetic. He didn't know that he was diabetic. He didn't know that's what it was. And one of the things he'd learned from the doctor, so, and it, this was a great thing, that you and I don't know how this works, that you drink a lot of water. He'd picked up on the fact that drinking water was good. So I was going on a road trip with Watty, and he sat down next to me, and I remember it very clearly. And I, I, I want to, this is where I want to, make the point, I had a lot of love for him. At the start of our journey, I had a lot of love for him. It's about 350 miles to Hereford, and he sat there with an extra large bag of quavers and a two litre bottle of water. And I saw him, and I thought, this is, this is great. This guy struggled with diabetes all his life. Bless him. He's got this water. This is going to cure him. And we drove two minutes down the M74, and I've, he's got an exaggerated Adam's apple as Wattie. And I looked to my left, and I saw this guy just Dissolve, dissolve, devour two litres of water, I've never seen anything like it in my life, and there was still a lot of love from my end and then he, um, he used an expression which has stayed on my brain forever it has never left me, and I'm going to try and do his accent, it's a bit Nelson Mandela, it's just because it's I don't know, I can't, I can't help but do it he said to me, in all seriousness, we'd been gone ten minutes I need to pay," is what he said <laughs> I need to pay," and so I thought that's, f- and there was still, this, at this end, there's a lot of love. So the first service station, we're 20 minutes down the road. Wati whispers these, f- these famous words in my ear, I need to pee. We went off, I thought, that's fine. I, could, I can go as well. We got a coffee, back on the road. And I'd noticed something. To my left again, we sat back down, and Wati was there. He'd refilled his two-liter <laughs> bottle of water. And he'd bought another bag of quavers. And he smiled at me with his lovely smile. And I thought, I still have a lot of love for you. It's still a great story. We were two minutes down the road. Two minutes. What is Adam's apple action started again and he knocked back this this water and I thought I know where we are headed here (laughs) The conversation was not great the rest of the time. It was there was not polite chit chat He wasn't giving a lot to me and we got to the next time for the next service Station and then came the phrase again I need to pee and we pulled in Hereford is 350 miles I'm prone to exaggeration, but I'm pretty sure we stopped about 10 times on the way down, and by the time we'd got to the end of our journey, and it was our last stop, I remember, I was just completely, this is, this is serious, this this awesome guy, this guy who's off on the mission field, to reach the lost tribes of Africa, I had nothing for him, <laughs> nothing, I, I'm, here it's a strong word, but I wasn't very far off it, I still, I'm still angry to this day, when I see quavers and bottles of water, just aggravates me. I'd gone from just this whole amount of love to just absolutely nothing. Sometimes our good works, this is what I want us to think about. I got there. I want us to think about our good works. Sometimes they can feel like something that is actually tangible. Actually tangible. You can actually grab it and it can run out. Do you know what I mean? And it shouldn't be like that. That's not the reality. The reality is that we, can, we could be kind all the time that's possible we could just have no limit to our good works it could go on and on forever but the reality is that it feels like it's almost like currency which sometimes in our chat and our conversation we can literally see it running out we'll say things like I'm not helping them again you ever said that I'm not I'm not doing that again and it's almost like this idea of the good works you just say it's not worked I've loved this person, or these other people, and I know Christians, a lot of Christians like this, who just said, I've just ruled out being good. Just ruled it out. I've tried it, and it didn't work. You ever done this uh, with your partner or, or uh, business partner or something like that? You'll get your fingers out, and you'll sort of run through the list of things that you've done, the good works that you've done. You'll say, Well, I did this today, I did this today, and I did this today. And what you're saying is, the way, you know, there's, there's a logic to good works, and I'm due. You know, I'm due a bit of a rest. And we can almost see sometimes our good works as this kind of tangible unit of currency. Just one question to ask as we think about that. What does that say about us? What does it say? So we can ponder that. Right, into the text. Um, as I've said, what the point that we've come to in this story is, and it's not quite as black and white, perhaps, as I've made out. There's been glimpses, plenty of glimpses along the way above the sun. But it feels like we've, taken, we've turned a bit of a corner in terms of the writer's thinking. And we are now very much uh, reading in light of the wisdom of God, this amazing wisdom of God. We, like, broke through the clouds. We're not under the sun anymore, certainly not in these six verses. So let's take the screenshot. Let's try and get our heads around what this is saying. And let's think as well about our tangible good works our limited resource of good works. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. There's a picture been painted here. There's a bit of there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, a story behind the picture as well. This idea that. And it's really odd that Solomon's in this place. He's been so pessimistic all the way throughout. And all of a sudden, he's offering this advice. Look at the advice. Remember the first eight or nine chapters that we've been through? It's all been meaningless. And now he's looking at life and he's saying, take a risk on a nautical commercial venture because of the potential great gains. I want to just add a bit of layer to the story just a little bit, just to get the juices flowing a little bit. Um, so we can read a little bit about Solomon's boats in the in Kings. And Solomon's boats, you know, they, they came back. You can read it in Kings if you want yourself. They come back into port every three years. They come back into port. But when they come back into port, they come back with all sorts of amazing stuff. Now, it might not sound amazing to us right now, but just hear me out. Baboons, peacocks, ivory, gold, the list goes on and on. And it's really just a flavor in Kings when you read about it. Now, with our... 21st century heads on, that just maybe sounds a bit weird. But if you exist in Israel, you've you've not seen some of this stuff. You've never seen some of this stuff before. The boat comes in and something like a baboon walks off and you've never seen a baboon. This is just, this is ridiculous. When they're pulling gold off the ships, this is part of the picture that the writer's trying to get us to grasp. The rewards, it's like proper treasure off of a film. It's like that. We're supposed to see that picture. This is amazing rewards. Rewards you can't even begin to think about or get your head around. But that's not the full picture. Because what does the start of the verse say? Ship your grain across the sea. The other the the, perhaps the NIV's earlier rendering of this was this idea that you would cast your bread upon the waters. This encouragement in the first part of the of the story is this sort of imagery of people who load the boat up before it comes back with the treasure, load the boat up with grain and then fill it right to the top. Fill it right to the top. Invest in it. Fill it right up. This grain that you've worked hard for all summertime, this grain that you might well need in the wintertime, this resource, this tangible resource is saying invest in it. In fact, he's saying it uses the the numbers seven and eight which really means just greater than. It's really saying give, you know, everything on the boat because the reward is amazing now he's not talking this is not literal sense he's talking here this is not to be understood in a literal sense he's talking here our bread about good works this is the kind of imagery it's parabolic he wants us to think about our good works in that same way he wants us to think about loading up this boat with our good works, to see it sail off into the distance, knowing that one day it will come back full of treasure. That is the imagery that he's putting in our heads. And I've just got this kind of image in my mind of, and trying to work through these thought patterns of the people that are, would be literally doing this job. You work all year for this grain and you're shoveling it onto the boat. And this idea of us with our good works, sometimes... This call, to Christian, this call to Christian living that we've got, this idea that we do good works, sometimes there is a, there's a feeling of futility about some of the good things that we do. Can you, and the pictures, that, the picture's there for us with these people loading up onto the ship. You can imagine them loading all the grain on to the ship and there's a dodgy looking sailor on the ship who's waving them goodbye. You've loaded your grain on there. This guy's going to disappear for, disappear for three years. You're not going to see him again. The ships sink all the time. I was reading the other day, Something like two ships a week sink even now. Back in this day, ships are sinking all the time and you're loading your grain. This is the wisdom. Load your grain onto the ship. Fill it right up to the top. Some of the invest, some of the thinking for us is we have been encouraged. The wisdom of this passage is that we invest our good works and we invest them in a way that we can't always see the reward down the line. It, it's, it could be years in front of us. Sometimes, Life can be like that, can't it? You do good things. Sunday school teachers tell you to do good things. Me and Paul and the preachers here tell you to do good things. Even your own consciences, maybe people without faith at all do good things. And sometimes they feel futile, don't they? It's a bit like, it's a bit like waving to ra to the goods on the ship. You've just got no idea when they're going to come in. You'll probably have had relationships in your life where they're really just like a one-way street. Do you know what I mean? Just a, just a complete one-way street. You're, you're, you've, you've got some sense of God's calling in your life and you just think, I know that I need to be good here. I know that I need to keep on being good. But you just, it's almost like your good works are just kind of gobbled up on the other end. And you just see them disappearing. I want to tell you something. I want to give you some reassurance as we try and live out faithful Christian lives. This, this is not futile. This idea even when our good works look like they're drifting off into thin air, this is wisdom. This is godly wisdom. Solomon, in his wisdom, encourages us here to be reckless with our good works. He says, don't even load, it, load the boat. Do as much as you can. Think of all the, all the pessimism that's been in the book. And here he says, you know, as an older man, he's looking back on his life. He's not pining for 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 the women that he's had, or the the riches that he's had, he's look back on his life, and the wisdom that he's gleaned is no here's a way you can be reckless. Here's a way you can be reckless, and it's just to do good works. I want to encourage you to think about that maybe you you're on the hard slog and you've committed to a bunch of good things because of your Christian faith, and actually you just you feel like this stuff is just. You see it in the boat just drifting away. This is wise. This is living wise. And he doesn't let us off with just thinking that. He encourages even, is even further. He kind of escalates the picture. Verse 2, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So he heightens the picture. He says, even even in light of the fact that life... You know, bad things might happen, even in light of the fact that we might have a, dr- a drought or a famine on the land. Let's not stop giving out the grain in light of that. We should, in fact, the opposite is true. We give out more. Think of the picture of that is for us. When it's just not the truth, is it, of our lives. When, when we see disaster coming, do you get more generous with your time? Do you get nicer? Do you get better? I don't. S- something bad happens to me, I, I close in. I look after myself. I look after those around about me. My caring group gets smaller. And this is the wisdom of this passage. This is what Solomon's saying. He's saying, when you see disaster coming, when life gets worse, let's just think about these concepts. Just hold them in our minds. He says, I want you to be more generous. This is the wisdom. This is the picture of wisdom we've got from this first couple of verses. Be reckless with your good works. Put it all on red. Shove everything you have on the boat. There's the wisdom. The story goes on. Verse 3. If clouds are full of water... So let's do the same again. Screenshot. Let's absorb verse number 3. Let's have a, have a punt at ourselves at, at thinking what this might possibly mean. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind, I love this, whoever watches, this is me often when I'm thinking about exercise, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Can you see the picture that's coming out of there, particularly the second verse, that's probably an easy one to, to get our heads around. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. It's just this picture of a farmer who's trying to avoid doing any work. I love that. It's just, and he's looking out of his window going, nah, it's, it's, it's too windy. And and oh nah, it's too sunny, and he's procrastinating. We do this in our lives, don't we? Often, we we procrastinate. We we've got this, this big plan to to get fit somewhere somewhere in the future, and we give ourselves you know we think about going out for a run, and then we, then we look out the window and we say, oh, it's a bit weather's not great, and anyway, if it's Easter soon, and I'm probably going to have a bunch of Easter eggs, so I can I can put it back till after then, and we we procrastinate. And we almost look for it. This is the picture that we're getting in here, of this idea that we procrastinate. There's this call in the first couple of verses for us to do good works. And it's almost like the writer's ahead of us. And he says, I know what you're going to do with that call. I know exactly what you're going to do with this idea that you need to do some good works. You're just going to park it. You walk out, you'll say, yeah, that's, that's right. I do need to do good works. I'm a Christian. I need to do some good things. I'll get to that. And we have these, even as Christians, we have these like plans in our mind. We say, oh, I'll I'll read a book later on, or I'll do this later on. And there's this real encouragement here to think about, to think about about just getting on with it. We don't need to to hang around and, and wait. It won't work. There is no perfect climate for your Christian service to start. We will always have a brilliant excuse why we shouldn't do something good. It's a really cool verse In Matthew 28, Jesus gives out the great commission. You might have heard of the expression, the great commission. And Jesus says, you may may have heard of the idea that Christians are to go, to be a people who go. Well, in the great commission, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go. He gives us a reason. And what he's saying in that verse is he's saying, guys, I've got it covered. I'm in charge. This ends really well for you. Just go. Just get on with it. We can. I can. I do. I'm one of the worst. Procrastinate. I've probably procrastinated in terms of maybe even, you know, my calling, maybe how I've lived out my Christian life. I I've done it for years. We do. We procrastinate. We put it off. This is just this awesome, powerful wisdom that says we can put this off, you could put this off forever and not change. It's possible. Is a real challenge for us. We've got millions of reasons why we should put off any kind of life change, and God gives us one reason we should change, and it's Jesus. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things sow your seed in the morning and the evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. It's this real picture that actually sometimes, certainly in terms of things of faith, we've got no idea what God will bless, which works that we do God will bless, and he won't bless. Um, I was pretty cynical about the work of tracting. I maybe still i am a little bit cynical about the work of tracting, probably. And uh, certainly I was until I sat next to this guy um, who was from Argentina. And I was kind of slagging it off, this idea of tracting. I was kind of saying, yeah, it's, it's old school. It doesn't work. And he said, I wouldn't say that. Um, you know. And he told me his life story. This guy was a young, young kid in Argentina, not loads of money. And he literally wandered past one in the street, picked up the tract. And it was it an was old school John 3.16 tract. And this was the guy that was handing over his life to God and sat next to me at Bible college. Completely changed his life around. We have got no idea, we've got no clue which works God's will bless. And, we, and we, we kind of think about our good works as this tangible resource, and you think, I'm only going to invest so much, I'm only going to invest so much in that. And there's this wisdom in this passage that just says, just get on with it. You've got no idea how God can bless in what avenues God can bless. And I want to encourage you, if if you could look back on perhaps areas of your Christian life and you think, well, I give, I give 10 years there to doing the youth club or I give so many years there to this. Or I'm actually just exhausted of talking to my colleague at work and mentioning every now and again for them to shoot me down that I've got a faith. We've got no clue which works God will bless. There's just this real challenge for us here. Just stay busy because God can bless in ways that we've never even thought of. Jesus talked about this. We're going to look at a couple of verses just now again. And uh, Jesus put some challenges in front of us. And I don't know if the tech team at the back could pop up those verses that are in uh, Luke's gospel. That's great. So we're going to read through these together. Jesus gives us kind of a similar encouragement, I think, than, than the, the writer of Ecclesiastes has been doing for us to think about how we invest our good works. But to you who are listening, and let's just, we'll soak it up first and then we'll deal with what Jesus is trying to do. In fact, we'll think about it before we start. What is Jesus trying to do? That's the question. What is he trying to do? What is he trying to get us to think about here? But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Just a bunch of impossible stuff. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who... From whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to those expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Can you see the parallels between the two passages? Can you see the sort of ideals that have been set out in front of us? What is Jesus trying to do in this sermon? Similar sermon recorded for us in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. Something I want us to think about is this theme that runs right throughout the Bible is the kingdom of God. So God, you can see it in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you can see it with the people of Israel right the way through, and then Jesus comes and he teaches us about the kingdom. This is Jesus teaching us about what the kingdom will look like, how it will function, how people will, will know that it's there. And in the story of, of the people of Israel, there's this real idea that... That the world gets to observe a bunch of people living under God's rule, in in God's place, in God's way, under God's will. There's this real obvious picture that's been drawn out. That is how the people of the world get to see God at work. They can observe his kingdom. Jesus comes, and we read about it at the start of most of the Gospels, and he begins to teach about what the kingdom will look like. Can you see in that passage what it will look like. Can you see in that passage how people of the world will be able to spot what the kingdom looks like? There is a little gap that exists and it's outside of logic and common sense and reason. And it's when, when we show love that is not explained rationally by the world, we begin to show people something of God's glory in the same way that the children of Israel did. It's a brilliant thing. It's an incredible thing, and it's our calling. And I can see already as I'm looking around and as I look in here, it's too much. It's too hard. But this is what we are called to. Love your enemies. Do good to the haters. Bless those who curse you. When you start to live in the kingdom like a child of God, when your loving actions are sustained beyond human Logic and reason will begin to show people what the kingdom of God is like. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. They will see your good deeds and see God. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. And as I read all this out, I know that tomorrow I need to get up at 5 o'clock and I'm going to be grouchy. And I know that that just list that I've read off there, I will not do. This is our calling, but we only get there in Christ. Hebrews 10, 14 says, Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We are heading towards perfection. It's it's a lot to absorb and a lot to take in, but that is the pattern. We get to head in that direction through faith in Christ, through observing him and having all our hope in him. If you give Jesus the position of Lord in your life, it doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that we keep heading in the right direction.